following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Good morning, everyone. Um, our call to worship is going to be Psalm 36, um, verses 5 through 10. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. You save humans and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your salvation to the upright of heart. The word of the Lord. This morning's epistle reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I have um, a question for you. I love asking these questions when we worship together on Zoom and you can type your answers into the chat and um, they usually go by so fast that I can't even read all of them. But uh, it gets us thinking about a topic. Uh, and today, the question that I have for you is, what is something that you do every day, or at least almost every day? Uh, something you do almost every day. Go ahead and type into the chat, and I'll, I'll read out some of those examples as they come through. Oh, brush my teeth. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, eat the same breakfast. Walk my dogs. Take my meds. Coffee. I think that's the same thing, actually. Um, brush my hair, drink my morning coffee, put on makeup, morning meditation time, using daily devotional as a guide, read a book, load the dishwasher, eat. Okay, these are great examples. Play Toy Blast on my phone. Ah, now someone's being honest. <laughs> um, morning Twitter, more coffee, lots of votes for coffee so far. Um, okay, some, some great ones. Connecting with friends and going for a run. There's probably lots of other examples of things that you do every day. Here's a follow-up question. What is something that you wish you did every day, but you don't? All right, exercise, yoga, read, journal, sleep, read, meditate, wake up. <laughs> oh, get younger. That's going to be a tough one. Yeah, <laughs> I feel you though. Morning devotionals, practice guitar, have more patience. All right. So there's, there's lots of people who have uh, daily habits that are great and lots of people who have um, aspirations to maybe make certain important things a daily habit. I see also um, vegetables and walking in nature. Um, a lot of those same things would be on my list of things that I would wish I did every day. I suppose the question that would maybe hit too close to home, and I won't ask it, um, 
I won't ask you to respond to it, but maybe you could think about it is what's something that you wish you didn't do every day? A lot of us have those as well. Um, so last week, we talked about having an epiphany, right? which is a word that's pretty much familiar to us, um, a realization. It's that moment uh, in the cartoon where the light bulb appears over the character's head. Um, but it's also a, uh, a day on the church calendar and, and a season in the liturgical year in the Christian church. Um, the idea of epiphany in, in the Christian calendar is the revelation of Christ's gospel to the Gentiles, right? Um, and you remember, if you were here last week, that the word for epiphany simply means uh, an uncovering or a realization or a revela revelation. It's actually very similar to the word apocalypse, and these are not the meanings that we typically assign to these words in popular English, but they are the meanings that I think are truer to the Bible's meaning in using these words. And so we talked about having an epiphany last week. And if you think of an epiphany as a light bulb moment, you might be tempted to think, well, you had that epiphany and now you're good, right? You might have an epiphany in the future about something else, but as far as this topic is concerned, whatever it might be for you, you've had the moment, the light bulb has gone off or has come on, I guess we should say. Right. And so today, I want to talk about the idea of living an epiphany, not just having an epiphany, but living an epiphany, because I think that having one big epiphany is not enough to sustain a healthy spiritual life. Instead, I think we can find value in um, shifting our expectations uh, away from this one moment in time experience and toward a gradual ongoing experience of revelation right? Remember, that's the meaning of epiphany. Uh, a whole life, rather than just a singular moment, lived in the posture and attitude of seeing the light, right? And that's uh, in keeping with the theme of this series, which is called gradual light. Right? And the idea came to me when I, I realized that it takes weeks and weeks after the winter solstice before the days really start to feel noticeably longer, even though they start right away, right? The light is coming, the, the earth is tilting toward the sun, but we don't get to have all of the benefits of that experience at once. It's gradual light. So living an epiphany, not just having one, a whole life. But what does it look like? To, to live an epiphany rather than just to have an epiphany. And I think this gets a little uh, confusing for us because the, the reality is there's as many different versions of that idea as there are Christian traditions. And I think the reason for that is that we all tend to sort of get hung up on our own thing, right? Um, the holiness people, those, those are my people. I grew up in that tradition. The holiness people get hung up on intoxication. <laughs> the purity culture people get hung up on sex. The liberation theology people get hung up on social change. The Calvinists get hung up on precise doctrine. And the Catholics get hung up on the sacraments. And Pentecostals get hung up on miraculous signs and wonders. You get the idea, don't you? These are all important things to consider if we're trying to live a life that allows God's light to pierce our inner darkness, um, or maybe even better, to, to pierce the darkness of the world around us. 
but none of them is the whole picture. Um, and so when a, a particular tradition or church or group um, focuses kind of laser-like on one of those things, or maybe it's a different thing, um, I think you miss uh, a huge part of the story that way, or at least you're at risk of missing it. And so uh, today what I want to do is take a little journey through some um, Bible passages to see what we might find out about um, living a whole life um, on the idea of having, you know, God's light expose us to truth uh, again and again and again. And so what I've done is I've chosen some scripture passages. I'm going to read them to you. They're all from the, the Christian scriptures, what we would call the New Testament, and they all mention light. So we're, we're going to stay on theme here, um, and hopefully this will be a way for us to kind of make our way through. So the first one, I won't actually read it because Doug read it right before the sermon. It's Romans 13, 11 through 14. And wasn't that an inspirational passage? Um, all that talk about reveling and drunkenness and debauchery and licentiousness. Now, if you don't know what those words mean, you just, you know, go find a dictionary. They're quite interesting. Um, uh, and then quarreling and jealousy, which, by the way, are the ones that kind of like get put on the shelf. Um, it's uh, very popular to talk about um, being anti-reveling or anti-drunkenness or anti-debauchery or licentiousness. Um, when it comes to quarreling and jealousy, I think a lot of us Christians are perfectly happy to keep up with those um, uh, versions of our pre-redeemed selves, if you know what I mean. So it's a it's a fairly comprehensive list, though, when you put it all together of the the sins that might plague us or ail us um, or call us away from what God wants. Uh, let me give you an, uh, another um, passage. This one is from First John verses 5 through 10, and we'll throw it up on the screen for you so that you can follow along with it um, <clears throat> as we go. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we're walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So I'm really interested how about how this passage um, seems to emphasize truthfulness so much. And it's not just being truthful with other people or um, even truthful with God. It's about being truthful with ourselves and not deceiving ourselves. And so this passage, it seems to me, um, kind of points us to the need to be honest with ourselves about what's going on. And I know that the, the word sin can be very um, triggering in some cases for people, especially if they have certain church backgrounds. Um, but the idea here is that if, if, you, if you say that you have no problems, that you are fully enlightened, right, and, and that you don't walk in, in any kind of darkness, then you're not only lying to others, but you're lying to yourself. And, and even 
even making God out to be a liar, Jesus out to be a liar, right? That's what the passage seems to say at the end, which is like, that's kind of a, a whoa moment. That's a pretty, pretty big idea to, to ponder. You might want to spend some time with that one. So let's go a little bit deeper into this letter, though. The, the letters of John are beautiful. Um, by the way, if you haven't read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the New Testament, I encourage you to read those. They're very short, and they're um, really quite lovely passages of Scripture. But this next one is just one chapter later in 1st John. It's going to be 1st John 2, um, 7 through 11. And it says this, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new commandment that is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says I am in the light while hating a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light. And in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. So I'll take a brief aside right here for just a second to talk about some of the language that's, that's being used here. Um, and I will go into this a little bit more depth next week, but... Um, I do want to acknowledge the idea that this automatic association of darkness with bad and lightness with good um, does have um, potential for uh, some racial undertones, right? And certainly has been used that way um, deliberately in a racist way in the church's history. And even if it's not used deliberately that way, it may still carry some of that pain with it um, for people of color. And the same goes actually for that talk of blindness. Um, yes, it's a spiritual blindness, but for people who have a visual disability that, um, again, has sometimes been used uh, sort of against them to be part of their marginalization. And even if it's not being used intentionally in that way, it can still maybe create some of that pain. So this is the language of scripture. We're, we're not going to change it, but I do think it makes sense to just take a moment to acknowledge how um, it, it might hit different for me than it does for other people. And it might hit different for you than it does for other people. So something to keep in mind as we um, try to make sense of these passages but keeping ourselves in the lane of, of spiritual darkness and spiritual light or enlightenment, and this passage comes right out and tells us <clears throat> in a specific way how we might be deceiving ourselves or others. If we say we are enlightened, if we say we are walking in the light, but we hate other people, then we are deceived and we are deceiving. Because that's the definition of being in the light of God is loving others. And, and here John says, I'm not telling you anything new. And then he kind of says, well, I, I'm sort of telling you something new. I love that kind of thing. Um, but basically he says, this is what has been from the beginning. You just kept getting distracted from it. And we would love to think that as Christian people, we have this 
you know, new capacity not to get distracted from the truth that has been the same from the beginning, but we don't actually have any better capacity not to get distracted from the truth than anybody else ever did. So in in these passages, though, it's all about love. You want to live an epiphany every single day? That's how you do it. Right? It's isn't it such a better way to think about it than how that that stick in the mud, the Apostle Paul what, talked about it. He he was on about what was it, reveling and drunkenness and debauchery and, and quarreling and jealousy. I just it's so much nicer to have John here telling us about love instead of all those nasty rules. Um, but <laughs> you you know. You know the guideline for reading Paul's writing in the Christian scriptures, right? The thing with Paul is that um, he is a true pastor, (laughs) a preacher anyway. He he rambles so constantly that you can almost never take any one thing that he says out of its context and hope to make any sense of it. Um, That's why the, the, the number one rule for reading the Bible that I've given you is so important and um, you know it. It's what is the therefore, therefore. Right? It's, the, it's the same category problem uh, of reading something in the scriptures and not paying attention to what, um, what it comes before it. Right, so you have to you have to get the flow of the whole thing here, and all of that business about uh, reveling and drunkenness and debauchery and jealousy, all of that comes after something else in the book of Romans, and so I want to read that little preamble part to you now, Romans 13, 8 through 10, and we'll see what it is that sets up um, the passage that we were looking at earlier. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not cover, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And then he goes on to say all that other stuff (laughs) and put some specific details on, on what he's trying to tell these faithful Christians. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. I mean, I almost wanted to end my sermon just by saying, listen, just read that again and then go home and do it, right? Because it's really a mic drop moment. And of course, it's exactly in line. It's not, I'm not going to end my sermon just yet, by the way. Sorry to disappoint you, but, but it's exactly in line with, with the way that Jesus taught, isn't it? And Jesus taught in the great commandment. In Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then, of course, the most important line in that teaching is on these two commandments, hang all of the law and the prophets, which is just a phrase that means all of the all the scriptures, every bit of scripture's instruction is fulfilled in the idea of loving God and loving your neighbor. 
So when we pray in the Book of Common Prayers Confession of Sin, as we did earlier in our service today, that we have not loved you with our whole heart, we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, that's where that prayer comes from. It's from this teaching of Jesus, which is reiterated by Paul and then reiterated by John. It's very consistent. And and John, as you remember, even says, listen, that's always been the rule all along. And Jesus says, all of the writings that you've studied your whole life, this is what they were trying to tell you about. Love is the fulfillment of all of the law. Now, listen, I think it's super important to say this is not intended to make it easy, right? If you're reading this, as getting off easy, I would submit to you, you are probably not doing enough self-reflection when you pray that prayer, when you try to apply that scripture. Jesus' great commandment and all of the scriptures that derive from it, it's a, it's a way of simplifying things. It's a way of giving us a, a, a simple two-part test or a lens, if you prefer, a less kind of anxiety-producing metaphor. It, it's a way of seeing and understanding. It's a, it's a corrective brace that reshapes our priorities. It's not a way of saying that the specific details don't matter. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. I think it's a way of helping us know which details do matter for each one of us at a given time. See, that's why everybody's specific experience um, is their specific experience. And, and I think what I was saying earlier about the, the way some religious movements get stuck is that what happens is you have a dynamic leader who has a very real experience with God in a certain way, and then they start a movement that emphasizes that specific experience and maybe even begins to require it for everyone, right? And listen, that's, that's just human nature, isn't it? I mean, uh, a person gets sober and their life changes dramatically because it was being wrecked by alcohol. And then they begin to preach the gospel of teetotalism. Right? Or a person is ruining their own life and harming others with their sexual promiscuity. They have an epiphany and they repent and they preach the gospel of celibacy. Or a person who grew up in a low church environment uh, finds God in the smells and bells of a high church liturgy and they they preach the gospel of cathedrals, right? You see how this happens. I think the same thing happens when we're trying to think out about living out a life uh, of an epiphany um, and trying to apply Jesus's teaching that love is the fulfillment of the law. The way that I fulfill the law through love is going to look different today than it did yesterday, even for me, let alone when I think about how other people might fulfill it. And I think that's why there's so much confusion about what it actually means to live your life for Jesus, despite his making it quite simple. The problem is that it's simple, but it isn't easy. So if I were to leave you with one simple rule for living an epiphany, not just having an epiphany, but living an epiphany, one simple rule for noticing the gradual emergence of light throughout the rest of your life, that rule would be love. What have I said to you almost every Sunday throughout this entire pandemic? Love one another. 
I mean, it, it almost feels like cheating. I mean, should, right? Shouldn't shouldn't I have to be more clever at my job? Yeah, I think cleverness is is an extremely overrated quality in spiritual leadership. Actually, you know, if someone's teaching you something that's overly clever and you've never heard any version of it before, that's actually a red flag, um, in my opinion. But the difficulty will be not in knowing that love is how we live an epiphany, but rather in sorting out for yourself and me for myself what love looks like in specific actions in each new day. And then for some of us, the additional problem is in not making our own specific application or expression of love mandatory for everyone around us. Because while there are some universal ways to love, if it's not getting more specific than those universal ways, we're probably missing out on a lot of the goodness that God wants for us and for our world. So my prayer for you, and as always for myself too, is that God's spirit would point you toward love today and tomorrow and the next day. And that this love would be a true expression of the Christ in you and through you. And that your life would be changed. And that through you and through the community that you're part of, our whole world would be changed. That's my prayer. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.